You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone. I'm Clément Thibault, and welcome to Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast, Cryptalk. It's already our last episode of January, and it's crazy how time flies. It really seems like just yesterday we started 2019 and celebrating and drinking and all that stuff, but no, it's already the end of January. So anyway, like we usually do today, we're going to be going over the most important crypto-related news of the week. Uh, the idea behind this podcast is to present short summaries and analysis of the past week's news so that you don't have to be a crypto expert or live crypto news or follow them all the time to stay knowledgeable about trends in the industry. So that's why we do Cryptalk to help you stay on top of the crypto markets. And uh, that being said, let's move on to this week's topics. All right, so this week, not a lot of action regarding the price. You know, it's been kind of trading sideways for the past two months, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we don't have anything interesting to talk about this week because a lot happened and we'll go over everything. So first up, uh, Korean exchange Bitum is actually working towards a reverse merger with a U.S. public company. And what they're trying to do is actually get publicly traded in the U.S. without having to go through all the regular IPOs and regulator demands kind of step. So they're trying to somehow circumvent that by, you know, merging with an already established U.S. publicly traded company in hopes of avoiding all the mess. So we'll talk about that, what a reverse merger even is, and, you know, how long it will be until you can actually buy shares of Bithum. Uh, next up, we got the Vanek SolidX Bitcoin ETF application has been withdrawn by CBOE. So this was... Uh, the ETF that most people expected or hoped to get approved, this was this wasn't the one that was, had the most chance of actually getting approved. But unfortunately, they withdrew the submission to the SEC, so the SEC is not even going to have to issue a ruling on this. And uh, the last topic of today is venture capital. So we're still seeing a lot of money inflows into crypto projects, crypto wallets, funds, and all that kind of stuff. This week we've had. A 15 million investment from Japan CBI Holdings, SBI Holdings, sorry, into a San Francisco-based uh, crypto wallet, BRD. So that's definitely interesting. And we're seeing that it doesn't matter where the price goes. Uh, the money from venture capital really goes the same way. So those are our topics for this week. And uh, we're going to start with Bithum uh, reverse merging. So we'll start with uh, Bithum and you might have heard that Bitmain wanted to IPO, and there's a few cryptocurrencies related businesses that would like to get publicly traded. Now, the problem is kind of the same problem that we have with the Bitcoin ETF. You know, regulators don't necessarily trust crypto, and so having them IPO will, you know, they'll come under a lot of scrutiny and they don't really want to go through that process. So, what happened is that Bithum, or the company that controls Bithum, signed a binding letter of intent with. Uh, blockchain industries which is a company that is publicly traded in the u.s it's traded over the counter so it's not traded on you know the new york stock exchange or nasdaq but it's still a publicly traded company and they will try to actually you know get traded that way by merging and then moving all of the assets under that new name and that new shell corporation in the u.s that it already traded and that way you know avoid a lot of regulations and they're not the only one so okcoin holdings which is also a big uh, exchange uh, just bought 3.3 billion shares of a construction engineering firm in Hong Kong and basically they want to do the same thing 
So they want to merge everything into that company. So they acquired it and then they're merging, which is why it's called a reverse merging because they acquire the one that acquires and is usually the bigger company merges itself into the smaller company. This is why it's called a reverse merging. And they want to be listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So usually an IPO takes a long time. So if you want to IPO, let's say it'll take you about a year or two. And so a year or two, especially in crypto world, you know, when things move fast and you never know where the price will be in, in a day, let alone in two years. So it creates a real problem for these kind of businesses. They want to IPO fast and they don't want to have to wait all the time that they usually need to wait. And the interesting thing is that it's been done before. So if we look at history and we look at Canada, so you probably heard of Mike Novogratz by now. He's running the Galaxy Digital Fund. And what they did is they did the exact same thing. So they took over some Canadian shell company, pharmaceutical company, and they never had any intention to use it, you know, for any other purpose than, you know, to actually get traded and to grab the name and the regulation and the approvals from that company. Uh, so that's what they did. They merged into a pharmaceutical company. And basically now they trade as Galaxy Galaxy Digital Holdings and they're actually on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So it's been a very successful move in the past. And that's why I think a lot of companies are looking at this kind of reverse uh, merge to be able to achieve the goal of being publicly uh, listed. Now, how is it likely to succeed? It's pretty likely to succeed. But the thing is that even though it's a reverse IP, it's a reverse merge and not an IPO, so it won't take a year or two years. But if we look at uh, how long it took to Mike Novogratz to get this company approved and to get it approved to trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange, it took him eight months to get really publicly traded and actively traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So just because you're not doing an IPO doesn't mean it won't take long. And I remember that it got held up because of the regulator wanted to make sure that even though it was a reverse merger and it wasn't like a fresh IPO, they still wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was in order and that no shenanigans were going on. And I definitely feel that the same thing is going to happen with the exchanges that are trying to do that now, especially in the U.S., because Bithum, this is Canada for Mike Novogratz's fund, but Bithum is trying to go in publicly traded into the U.S., which is, you know, maybe the most problematic market to get publicly traded in. And so right now, even if they succeed, they'll be traded only over the counter. So you won't be able to buy them, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange, on the NASDAQ. And obviously, you know, the second step is to get that company listed on the NASDAQ and on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, one of them. So there's the, even if they succeed in their move to really acquire that company and kind of merge itself into it to become a U.S. entity, a, a publicly traded entity, the success of that move and actually getting traded on Nasdaq or the New York Stock Exchange is still quite a long way to go because this these companies, uh, both of them, the exchanges have more requirements and they're even more strict and they won't let anything, you know, get traded there, especially if what is considered, you know, over the counter penny stocks. A lot of times they want to distance themselves from these kind of business. You see, one of the things I love the most about crypto is how, you know, things change and we're breaking new ground all the time. And if to do that in the U.S., to successfully re reverse merge in the U.S. and then get traded on a big major exchange will be a first for a cryptocurrency firm. And so I really see that as groundbreaking. And this is why this is so interesting to see where it will go and what will happen. 
and if they'll succeed or what the regulator will say. It's never been done before. And so if you want an industry where things have never been done before and they're all the time, you know, trying new things to see what will work and what won't work, that this is definitely the industry for you. So this is why I'm excited about this news, because I really feel like this could dictate how cryptocurrency going public, you know, will happen in the future. And if Bitcoin will do this successfully, then nothing stops Binance or any other, you know, big crypto exchange that, you know, maybe will want to go public at some point to access, you know, huge capital markets, especially in the U.S. So that's a really exciting topic to, to start the podcast with. I know that uh, in a few previous week, we've had pretty bleak news to start with and uh, maybe more negative news. But this is actually really positive news and really exciting news because you never know what's going to happen. All right. So we'll move on to, OK, maybe maybe a little more negative news with uh, Bitcoin ETF being withdrawn. So our second topic today is the withdrawal of one of the best proposals for Bitcoin ETFs. And actually, if you've been following uh, Cryptoc or generally, you know, what been, what's been happening with crypto ETFs, this was the one ETF that people really pinned their hopes on and really hope that, you know, will start the flood of money coming in uh, from institutionals. And I think, you know, those hopes were maybe a little too high and unrealistic, but that's what it was. So it makes for big news when this ETF uh, is now withdrawn and will not be judged by the SEC. So, so basically, they just quit before the final ruling. So, why this ETF was uh, the one that people expected? What first, uh, the the first thing was that they tried to rely on over-the-counter prices of Bitcoin instead of the spot price that we see on exchanges in order to help with the manipulation part because the SEC wouldn't prove it if it was manipulated. And the second thing was that it was supposed to be like 25 Bitcoins a share. So you couldn't buy it unless you had, you know, a hundred, uh, about a hundred thousand dollars, basically. And so it's not for retail. And this is how they're protecting retail and protecting from manipulation. But anyway, we'll never know what the SEC thinks of that. Although I think we have a pretty good guess. So uh, the CBOE is the one that pulled the proposal. So not VanEck or SolidX, which were, which were the issuers of the proposals. So that's also important. So at this point, we still don't have the details on why CBOE decided to push back. Uh, what we do know is that uh, the CEO of VanEck told CNBC that they will refile when the SEC gets going and that they have pretty solid answers to the SEC's concerns. Uh, now, the market didn't react to those news. And I think that uh, we've long established that the market does whatever it wants to do and news you know, are more used to explain the price action than they dictate it because fundamental factors are still not a big influence on crypto and Bitcoin in specific. And now that you have the details of what happened, let me tell you what I think. What I think is that they realized that there was approximately a 0% chance that the SEC was going to approve the CTF for numerous reasons. And I've spoken about all of them before. The fact that using OTC prices doesn't necessarily stop the manipulation. The fact that if Bitcoin price were to drop, the, the ETF would become a retail ETF because 25 BTC, if BTC is $100, you know, $2,500 is not out of reach of a retail investor. So also that falls and that argument from Van Eck falls. So I really think that, you know, they were trying to save face more than anything else. And they knew that, you know, their ETF was not going to be approved. So they played that game with the SEC. The SEC was supposed to rule only on, in August, but it was wildly expected to get pushed back. And February 27 
was actually the last date for the SEC to give its judgment, like a final judgment. They had to say yes or no. They couldn't postpone it anymore. They couldn't ask for more data. Uh, February 27 was supposed to be the really yes or no. And I think that, you know, I saw it that way, but I, I've said that, you know, about eight or nine months ago, I already knew that this proposal was doomed to fail. Because really, if you if you get into the shoes of the SEC for one second, if you think about how the regulator sees it, and if you put your you know crypto enthusiast persona aside for a second and value it from in an objective point of view, then you really see that you know the market is not ripe yet for a Bitcoin ETF, and that there's no way that the SEC would approve it. As much as you, I would like to, and I think that you know it could be a good help and introduce people to Bitcoin in a safer way than you know holding and managing your keys and everything. Right? There's downsides, but I get it. But let's talk about it like it's kind of an introductory phase. And, and I really I could see the value in it, but you know there's, there was just no way. You still look at Bitcoin today and the way it acts and and you really don't know yet if it's manipulated or not. And that's one of the major concerns. At the end of the day, the SEC will want to know uh, with a reasonable amount of certainty, I'm not saying 100% because that doesn't exist, but with a reasonable amount of certainty that the market is not manipulated. And as long as we don't have that, we are not gonna get an ETF. Uh, one of my 10 predictions for 2019, uh, which was exactly three weeks ago, uh, was that there will be no Bitcoin ETF in 2019. And I stand by it. And I think that, you know, this one, the, this was the most promising proposal to get an ETF approved and it got withdrawn. So we'll see how long before they resubmit it. And then again, it's going to be again a game of, of months, if not a year until it actually gets to a final decision by the SEC. So I really see 2019 as a no-go. Uh, all right, so the Bitcoin ETF, we're probably going to be talking about it less unless uh, they renew the application and unless they submit a new application. And by then, uh, you can be sure that I'll be on it, dissecting it and telling you what I think about it. So uh, that's for our negative part, because I feel like every podcast should have like a negative part. Or at least I don't think that, but that's usually what happens. So uh, let's move on to more positive news. And that's, I mean, positive news, I don't know, but we'll judge. Let's move on to a crypto fundraising party and how still a lot of money is flowing from venture capital to crypto projects. All right, so our third topic today is on the continuous flow of money coming from uh, venture capital to uh, you know projects, crypto projects that are trying to develop infrastructure to make you know, crypto a better place and to make it more accessible. So what happened is, uh, Japanese investment giant SBI Holdings. If you know anything about investment in Japan, you probably heard of these guys. Uh, they put 15 billion, 15 million, into a San Francisco-based crypto wallet. So that's you know that's a big amount to develop a wallet. And I'll tell you something more. This wallet actually had an ICO, and they raised 32 million in an ICO. And that's after they already raised a 1 million seed round in Bitcoin. So that's already $48 million invested in this crypto wallet. And that's a lot. That's a lot of money for any business to have. You know, that's a big treasury for any business and especially for a wallet. Uh, I'm not sure how you monetize a wallet. So that's also maybe a bit of a concern, but maybe that's just me. I'm sure these guys have a plan. Uh, what you do need to know about this wallet is that they have about 1.8 million users globally. 
And 1.8 million is, you know, it's not a small amount of users. But if you look at blockchain.com, which has the most popular wallet, they have 32 million users. So one, so they have about, they have almost 20 times more users than, you know, the wallet that had just been funded with 50 million and total 48 million. So why does that, that what does that mean that blockchain.com is worth a billion dollars? I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and we're, we're seeing a lot of ridiculousness in, in private investments in general. I mean, if you look at the valuation a lot of times of unicorns, of Uber, of Airbnb, how the private valuations are often very, very inflated compared to what the public markets would value them at. So combine, you know, private investments and, you know, inflated valuation plus uh, the, the crypto factor and the blockchain factor and you get, you know, an investment that I really can't wrap my head around and I really can't understand, you know, what they're hoping to get out of it. I guess that if that's if this wallet becomes the number one crypto wallet in the world and everyone is using it, maybe you'll get a nice return. But I see the risk as being far too significant, especially after forty eight million dollars already have been invested. If you haven't done you know, what you needed to do with forty eight million dollars, you probably won't make it with a hundred. And that, that's what I think about it. Uh, we've had another company raising some money this week. We've had RealBlox, uh, which is a real estate platform on the blockchain. So basically, uh, they tokenize and they provide access to real estate investment opportunities. And you can raise capital with tokenized real estate securities offerings, which is an interesting concept. And they raised $3.1 million. So, you know, a lot of money, but not necessarily an absurd amount of money. Uh, something that you can actually start to build with. And again, this kind of ties up to one of my predictions for 2019, where I see security token offerings and, you know, and, and more things tokenized, the real estate tokenized, maybe art tokenized. And I, I think that this will be the next direction. This will be the next big thing uh, that we see. So ICOs have obviously been a huge thing that we've seen in the past couple of years. But I think that STOs and all these tokenized everything movement, I think, is what's coming in 2019, maybe even 2020, but that's definitely coming. And our third uh, major uh, fundraise of the week is we've talked about Mike, Mike Novogratz before, right? We've said that he managed to get his company listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and they're raising $250 million for a fund to help uh, crypto struggling crypto firms with treasuries. So basically what they're trying to do is lend money to companies who need it the most. So I don't know if you've seen, but crypto prices are way down. And that means that a lot of projects have their treasuries way down. So if you raise $10 million uh, in January, you maybe have two left. I mean, what, what, whatever you raised is worth two now. So obviously you lost a lot of money and you may need more money to function. So this fund is supposed to come and help those troubled businesses, let's call them, and try to help them get straight and actually give them you know, maybe some, some breathing room to operate and to pay everyone and to develop uh, and just to wait until, you know, crypto comes back and, and their assets and their treasury is again worth uh, what they raised it. So I hope that it'll help, you know, get a certain, get a few crypto businesses that maybe did some mistake with treasury management and maybe that won't do them now that they have someone to inject some liquidity and some money into the business. All right, so good news. A lot of money is being raised around the world in crypto projects. And uh, that's what we're going to end on today. So let's move on to the outro.
All right, that's it for this week. I think it's been a pretty good one. Uh, I say this every week and I mean it. If you have any feedback or something that you want us to cover or talk more about or less about, uh, we have the comment section of this article on investing.com. So you're willing to post your comments there. Uh, this podcast is also available on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, the, the whole a bunch of podcasting services. So feel free to choose whichever one is appropriate for you. You can find me on Twitter at C-L-E-M-T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. So really feel free to let me know what you think. All right, uh, we'll be here next week with another episode, the 1st of February this time, and hopefully we'll all have a very, very good week. All right, thanks for being here, and I'll see you next time.